Is it possible to die and come back to life? How about dying four different times and coming back to life? And what can we learn from the spiritual lessons our guest has brought us back from the beings of light he encountered on the other side? Buckle on up. You are about to find out from the man with the most profound near-death experiences ever recorded. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, where we interview remarkable world-class experts that help bring out the greatness within you. Top book authors, super successful business people, and outstanding special guests that will motivate and inspire you with their incredible, uplifting stories and life-changing tips and strategies. Our goal is your success. If you desire more out of life, you've dialed into the right show. So fasten your seatbelts, friends, and let's get ready for some high-octane motivation. Now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on The Motivation Show had a major motion picture made about his fascinating life called Saved by the Light, titled after the book of the same name, which spent 26 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. In 1975, he was struck and killed by lightning, but awoke 28 minutes later in the morgue. Imagine what a surprise that was to the workers there when that assumed cadaver sprang back to life. As if that experience of dying was not enough, he had the misfortune of dying not once, but two more times. Was it misfortune or divine intervention? We are about to find out. Welcome to the Motivation Show, oh pal, oh pal of mine, Daniel Brinkley. Hi, <laughs> Eli. Thanks for having me on the Motivation Show. Well, Daniel, you and I go back a long time, and I admire you because you uh, always bring a message of hope, spirituality, and things that give people a better reason to get up in the morning and feel happy. And I want to thank you for that. Ah, oh, thank you. Because I go back all those years. We have, been, we have been friends for a long time, over 20 years. We have been friends. And so when I saw that you were doing this show and it's to uplift people and give people a, a viewpoint that helps empower their every day, I just could not wait till you asked me, finally. <laughs> So, Daniel, a, a lot of people through the decades have likely wondered, why was this particular tough-as-nails, good old country dude, of all the four billion people on planet Earth, the one chosen to have these near-death experiences and to bring back profound messages of love and hope and of hope from the other side? Well, I can tell you why they picked me. First, I was a complete jackass. I only cared about the nonsense of what guys think about. And then I played sports and then I played, I was in the Marine Corps. Then I got a good look at how life works, Eli. And then one day I was struck by lightning. 
and I was blinded. I was on fire and burning, and the lightning hit me in the side of the head and went down my spine. It welded the nails of the heels of my shoes to the floor, and it threw me out of those shoes into there, slammed me back down on the bed. I was paralyzed and couldn't move. I couldn't see because the ball of fire burnt my eyes, and I had no idea what happened to me. And then all of a sudden, I'm out of my body. And I'm watching from a calm, peaceful place this view of what was happening to what appeared to be now my physical body and all the things around me. And then I had what is now called a classical near-death experience. I'm 25 years old. I'm a complete asshole. I have it down to a perfect science. And then all of a sudden, I'm not in my body anymore. When I lifted out of my body, I could see and I could move. In my body, I could not do that. I'm calm and I'm peaceful. I'm trying to get a grip on where this is. And I watched them move me into the ambulance. They went and got the ambulance. And they saw them move me into the ambulance, Eli. And I'm watching this. And I'm in the paramedic vehicle. And uh, there's my body. There's the, the paramedic. And then there's me. And all of a sudden, the paramedic's got his headsets on. He's talked to the hospital. He said, he's gone. He's gone. And I will go down this tunnel, and I discovered that we are divine spiritual beings with dignity, direction, and purpose. And once I saw what this next life is about, once I saw what it was about, then when I came back by no choice of my own, <laughs> okay, I had to live my life based on what I saw that to be equal to what we think this physical material world is. How hard was it for you to actually come back? You say in your book that you didn't want to come back. You were No happy. one, you would, well, you always listen to the deal. You know, you know, how you come here, you get chosen. These are the facts, Eli. You choose to come here, but first you are chosen to come. Okay, you're chosen because the divine architect believes there is nobody better than you to be born exactly at that moment, to enter that body in the, in the social, psychological, and nature that you entered that body, okay? And there was a billion there waiting, hoping it was going to be them to come into that particular situation so that you could achieve the divine goals of what you were sent back to do, and you could create opportunities or obstacles for you to overcome and grow. Those are the two reasons of why you're here. And the overall reason is here is to practice being a God. You have earned the right to be a God. No question. Now think about this. Think of everything that you hope your God is, no matter what God you have. And there's no such thing as an atheist, but there are agnostics. No problem about it. I appreciate them. You know what? The only problem I can tell agnostic is I swear to you today, you're going to lose this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to win the fact that nobody dies, Eli. And I'm going to win the fact that there's a life after death and that it has a structure to it. Okay. And here practicing being a God. So think of everything that you hope your God is loving, caring, compassionate, protective. And then think of how many times per day, 
the opportunity to practice being one of those comes into your life. Very powerful. That's all that, but once you understand that, it's an earned right and a gift, okay? It's an earned right and a gift because you, you can only, because I say everybody's a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. There's only one thing that can ever go wrong with somebody's life is they allow something to affect their dignity, which skews their direction and their purpose. And that's that petty little bullshit that we do and get all involved in, in our physical, material world, and then in our emotional world, because somebody can hurt our feelings. People think emotions are something separate from mental, physical. No way. You cry about things and you laugh about things. You cry about things that are, make you happy, and you cry about things that make you sad, you laugh about things or you get mad. So emotion is a mental process based on how much you like or don't like whatever you're thinking about what you see. And then there's your ethereal self. That's powerful stuff. Um, it's the truth, Eli. Now, you say something very profound. You say that we don't die. There is no Impossible to happen. It so, will never happen. Anybody who thinks they're going to die is made the biggest mistake of your life. And why? We create religions because it's the unknown. It's the place you're going to go. And you better be good or you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Okay? Well, if you're going to die, then what difference where you go? If I'm going to be dead and I'm eternally damned, well, who cares? <laughs> who cares? What if, and, and if I'm going to die, how do you get to heaven? Okay, if you're with mom, you're hanging out with the angels, you see Jesus and Peter, you might see Abraham or a couple of his cousins. Well, you got to be alive for that to be happening. You have to be alive for that to happen, Eli. So when you get to talking about death, that's the stupidest thing to think on any given day. That's the stupidest thing you think, and why? Because you get afraid of being thankful for every breath you get to breathe and every opportunity you get to see to make a difference. All that stuff is control mechanisms because you can't believe enough in something you don't see, know, or can hold. They call it faith or hope. Well, I don't have faith in there's life after death. I don't have hope there's life after death. I know there's life after death, <laughs> okay? And like the guy told me the other day, he said, he said, you know, Daniel, he said, it's amazing that you have been dead four times. I said, well, you got north, south, east, and west. You have earth, wind, water, and fire, the nature of how it all works. So that means I have hit the fourth cycle and the final cycle of my operation or my program in this time frame. Okay, so two years ago, next month, I am still alive after dying, having open heart surgery at 68 years old, have an open heart surgery, had them to rebuild my heart from lightning striking me and dead when I came out of the operating room. And then four days later, four days later, 
at two o'clock on Sunday morning, go into cardiac arrest and have to be resuscitated twice, broke two of my ribs, broke two of my ribs. Okay, now that's two years ago, not 1975. So when I tell you, you, you don't die, you don't die. It's a ridiculous concept to put in your mind. You come here per breath. You breathe in, that's on you. How deep you breathe in, that's on you. That's the divine's way of saying, I'm here. It's the divine's way of saying, okay, I'm here. If you want to feel me, lick your hand and wave it in the air. And I'm right where that cool spot is. And that's the illusion of the, we're supposed to have faith that we can't see air, but we're supposed to have faith that it's there. Or we pull in on breath and we realize it is. Okay. Well, when you take your last breath on this side, you harmonize again. How do we handle the fear of leaving behind our loved ones and not finishing our mission on earth. Most oh. people are still walking around in fear of death. How do we get people to change that? Well, we have these kind of conversations. Okay. Think about this. I went from being the, uh, Oh, come on. Everybody knows. I was, I mean, that's bad. <laughs> I thought only about me and, you know, I was big and I was a brood and, you know, all those things and all the things that you really think makes the world care about you or think about you, Eli. But all of a sudden, one day I discovered a nature about who we all are. Okay. And how, as we are evolving and we're right now at a critical juncture in who we are as spiritual beings, not as Democrats, Republicans, or liberals, or our progressives, our libertarians. We should have a spiritual that. party, shouldn't we? Maybe. Shouldn't that be a well, what we Democrats and Republicans? Is, <laughs> yeah, but what they, we should realize is that's what we're doing. We are having a spiritual uh, party. Think about what's at stake. All the outgrowth, all the things that are happening, Eli, are outgrowths of physical actions of inner turmoil that's going on in, in the purification process of we, the human species, evolving into either transhumanism or a deeper spiritual connection. Because when you start using microwave, when you start using Zoom as a reality, you change consciousness, the concept of matrix. And once this screen that you're in front of or I'm in front of is holographic, we're present with each other. That's the rule. That's the move. And then the next is to connect you to that system. How do you stay connected to that system? I mean, everybody who knows, I was laughing. I sent you this. Somebody sent me that page, Eli, that said that 475 million people have searched Saved by the Light and Daniel Brinkley. Wow. Uh, 475 million people, okay? Wow. Well, I sat back and I saw millions and Saved by the Light and the Peace in the Light and the Secrets of the Light. And I have two more books and I'm done. 10 Things to Know Before You Go, which is me making fun of everything. You know, the opening, the opening pages, what's the number one cause of death in America and most other countries? This is 10 Things to Know. 
and it's a question mark. Turn to the second page. It says, no matter what you thought, birth is the number one cause of death. You got that right. Okay. And then you turn to the next page. It says, remember, if you're breathing, you're leaving. And if you just took a breath, this book is for you. Yeah. And so, and then I have certainty. Certainty, which is being that I came back from this experience and it took me two years to learn to walk and feed myself. And I peed on myself and I crawled on the floor and I hurt so bad. I was in pain, my God, every joint. I mean, I melted the phone. It melted the phone and ran out of my hand. And I couldn't see, I had to wear welder's glasses, but I knew I had to get up, okay? And I knew that based on what I had seen on the other side, what I'd seen in the structure, watch how this works, Eli. Everybody, trust this. The book of judgment, there's something like that, but it's not the book of judgment, okay? It's the panoramic life review. You will see your entire life pass before you in a 360 degree panorama. You will have missed nothing. You will know how many hairs was in the nose of the doctor who pulled you from your mother if that's what you decided to know. You will watch it from a second person point of view as if you were your own best friend. So you can laugh at yourself. You can laugh and damn, Daniel, what were you thinking? Okay. And then you will literally become every person that you ever encounter. And you will feel the direct results of your interaction between you and that person. Okay. Nobody gets away with anything. And the universe is fair and just. And then after you've become every person, Eli, there's a question. What's that? If God could not have come today, and God sent you. In the life you just reviewed, what difference did you and God make? So I became a hospice volunteer. I've been a hospice volunteer for 42 years. I have 34,000 hours at the bedside, and I've been with 2,011 people going from this world to the next world, and 346 taking their last breath. Because I knew a secret, nobody dies. And I figured that the greatest gift, knowing if God couldn't come today and God sent me, the greatest difference I could do was be a hospice volunteer. Everybody sooner or later is going to be a hospice volunteer. That's where certainty comes in. If it's guaranteed and inevitable, how well can you handle the transition of someone you love? How well can you handle it? Mm. So I write books about it. Well, the panoramic life review was probably the thing that impacted me most in reading your book. And I got to thinking about that a lot. And it changed me because it made me realize that maybe I wasn't the nicest guy in the world either. And all of us can probably claim that at some point in our lives that we did things that when we look back, we're pretty foolish. And then when you think about the fact that we have to judge ourselves and think about all the things we did to people and said to people, you, you think twice before you do something stupid. You think twice before you, you know, take somebody's money without giving them the best possible service just to, you know, line your pockets with gold. 
You think twice about that. Uh, you think twice about the words that you say to people. Absolutely. And so I want to thank you for helping me see that light. Yeah, but it's, but you know what, Eli, these are rules. You are a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. And somehow in the actions that you're taking, you've allowed something to affect your dignity. That's everybody. And it skews your direction and your purpose. And then you begin to not think you have a purpose. And then you begin to observe, is this all there is? Okay. Well, when you do that, you're thinking. This is what you're doing. You're thinking in a emotional, mental, physical position. But you are a great, powerful, and mighty spiritual being with dignity, direction, and purpose. And part of your mission in here is practice being a God. All God asks you to do with free will, and I don't say God, but the divine system, the sacredness of the law, these things are non-transmutable. You will have a life review. You better get over it, and you better think about how you manage yourself. And like I said, you come per breath. The breath that you breathe in is on you. You can breathe it in shallow, you can do whatever it is, but what you're breathing in is everything that a multi-powerful spiritual being can conceive of and to breathe it in. And then it stops. When you take that breath in and those eight sinus cavities, the same as you have your chakra points, when you take that breath in, before you let it out, you stop. And then you let it out. Well, the universe cares about what you're thinking. And the action that you're taking when you let that breath out. And the deeper you breathe in, the more awareness can expand in those sinus cavities, the more consciousness can prevail, and the more power that you breathe out making a difference. And then you find that harmony. Get up from the dead because first, you know, I'm just being pissy. Because what people do all the time is they think doctors, I have a saying, the only difference between God and a doctor is God never thinks she's a doctor. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I always feminize God, but God to me is a feminine presence. She's, she's funny, you know, and I have after four of these two times being dead and open heart surgery and brain surgery and open heart surgery and open heart surgery and uh, resuscitated. The funny thing about being resuscitated, Eli, is I heard the monitors go off, right? I'm dying. They don't figure out how I've lived this long. They cannot figure it out right now, how I've made it for two years. They told Catherine and they told my brother and sister, I wasn't going to make it, but I did. Okay, so my point is this. When the divine looked down and was looking and saying, okay, there's too much power given to the medical system because I have for 45 years said the battle for the souls of humankind would be fought in healthcare. I wrote a book about it 25 years ago. Okay, when you got down to the battle for the souls of humankind in healthcare, the game was on. Well, hello, America. Hello, world. Look at exactly what I wrote in that book. I even describe the players. They're all in Saved by the Light, Chapter 5, Box 11 and 12. I mean, the cannibalism, I had to mask a little bit, okay? But that's in Box 11. But all these things are coming true because look at what a virus has done to the whole world. 
So when we were talking earlier about a spiritual party, hey, everybody, you get that chip put in you, you better think about it. And when you think about transhumanism and becoming a part, and you look at Herb Gel, which is a nanoparticled robot that builds itself into your DNA with a RNA control that you can, you can take this implant, this monitoring device, and take this vaccine, and you can be patented. <laughs> because they splice, they take ribonucleic acid, the real power in the physical body, ribonucleic acid, and they splice your, your DNA. Well, let's give you some credit because in your book, you know, you write about these nanochips, you know, with the potential to be used for good or evil, you know, including to detonate a deadly virus in the body of unsuspecting victims, which is pretty apropos and easy to now believe, you know, given, you know, the COVID world we're in right now. So I said this, I said this for 45 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Remember this, this is 45 years. Yeah. I had this vision. I didn't know crap about near death. I was Superman. I'd lived through the Vietnam era. I'd lived through all that stuff, okay? And I was figuring out what to do with my life and blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, I'm deader than hell, okay? Well, you wake up to the divine divinity. Everybody, we are there. We are right now sitting on the precipice of our spiritual identity awakening or it not happening, okay? And you, when you look at the players, look at the choices that we have to player, look how poor a job we've done with the choices that we have. So we become responsible. We must be responsible for our own health care. We must take control of our health care, take the right nutrition, cleanse that body. That's what it's begging for. We cannot sustain in the destructive nature of we as human beings to this environment, this world will react. It will react to us. People don't think it exists and functions as a being. Everything is electrical, Eli. The earth is 7.2 hertz. You have an atmosphere, a stratosphere, and an ionosphere a positive, a negative, and a neutral. Who in the world would think that weather was electrical? Well, the only person who would think it wasn't electrical never went on Google and typed up weather modification patents. And you'll find 168 of them that's modifying constructed charge in the ionosphere. One we know about is called HARP. So when you live in an electrical universe and it's living proof that you do, then you have to think like that. Those prophecies, which became prophecies because I didn't tell anybody, it was Raymond Moody who told everybody because they started coming true and it was just amazing to Raymond. I always thought it was guidelines. I never, I always call that part Nostradamus. <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> well, well, but, you know, because it was a future event, uh, Eli, it was a future event, that wasn't important to me. It was where I had to be. 
where I had to be when the battle for the souls of humankind came, where I had to be and where I had to position what I believed in. I built the Twilight Brigade, one of the largest end-of-life care volunteer programs for dying veterans because they are dying alone. That's They're true. abandoned. I, I, have, I have 37 years as a volunteer in VAs. 37 years. 34,000 hours at the bedside. Try to tell me about what death is and what death is not. And come get you some. I'm ready. We are great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings. We have dignity, direction, and purpose, and we need to act like it. We need to act like it. We need to pay attention. We need to breathe. We need to put purpose and look for the value of the goodness in it, then form an opinion. It's amazing to me what people are doing. It's just amazing. You know, it's interesting about what you said about... Um, Am I being boring, Elon? No, not at all. Uh, you're never boring. Uh, th th that's the least thing anybody can ever accuse you of, I can tell you that. <laughs> Entertaining, always. Uh, well, you mentioned an um, interesting thing about doctors and how we give our power away to doctors, you know, uh, because we see that white lab suit. We also give our power away these days to entertainers and celebrities you know, and we think less of ourselves. And it's hard for us to believe that where there's powerful spiritual being of light, you know, talk to that a little bit. How do we sort of get out of that thinking that it's others that are powerful and not ourselves? Okay, well, here's how you do it. You were chosen to come here to practice being a God. You were chosen. Okay. When by you who? Look by at, who? Who, who, who chose us? A system. Okay. A divine system. Okay. Okay. And that moment, that moment of conception, that moment that first breath happens and you come here, everybody celebrates it. I mean, they celebrate it because practicing being a God is a, a royal, a place of royalty. Each one of us have achieved great, powerful, and mighty are words that I apply to a sense that I got about who we all are. Because I was asking those questions, who are we? Okay? And then I had to take those feelings and turn them into words, Eli. Okay? And I'll say it anywhere, anytime, in front of anybody. And it doesn't matter to me what they think. We are great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings with dignity, direction, and purpose. And if you think anything else other than that, you're a funny individual, and I appreciate the fact that you want to be entertaining, but I don't need to hear it, <laughs> okay? Because arguing with me about whether you're there or not negates the fact that if you're practicing being a god and you have to look at that, okay? And that's where people come from. It's easy for me. I have died with thousands of people, thousands. And I am not afraid. I've already been where they're going. So they can not sense that fear. I can pass that energy there. And here's the greatest thing about hospice. In the Bible, it says, where two or more gathered in my name, so shall I be among you. Well, I can say that's the truth. Well, Daniel, I have to a confession. Because of you, I did volunteer to go to a hospice. Only did it one day. But I did so it. So what? And it was Thank because you. of you. Um, Thank you, though. And that's everything, Eli. That's everything. Because look, I'm going to get to be you 
if you're going to be everybody that you ever encounter and you're going to feel direct results of your interaction, I'm going to get to feel that you did that and that commitment. The divine depends on that. That quiet place the divine depends on is that you make a commitment. It's not for everybody, but you make that choice. You, you step into it and be present in it. You feel it and then you decide, but not not do it. And like you said about people being themselves, it's the little teeny tiny things that you do every day that's godlike that matters. Not what, not what a basketball player says, okay? Here's what people ask me. They say, Daniel, what do you think about taking a knee? What about people taking that? I said, well, I cannot stand it. I cannot stand the fact that you don't honor the national and the flag and all that. But I served in the United States Marine Corps and I went to war so that they had that right. Okay? So what I think and what I like and what I don't like has absolutely nothing to do with what I took the oath to serve in the Marine Corps to do, a free speech. Okay, so I don't like it, but boys, if you need to take a knee, take a knee, okay? And if somebody's messing with you, I can't fight anymore, but I will come down on the feet and defend your right. Well said. Let's um, go into a business realm here because we are being aired on C-Suite Network Radio, which is uh, a very large business network. So a lot of business people are going to be listening to this. I hope and, so. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because you talk in your book about the panoramic life review and you apply it to these sometimes cold, harsh, bottom line tendencies of business. You know, that's just a reality. You know, there's bottom line. Uh, you know, you have to meet the bottom line. And sometimes when you meet the bottom line, you have an ethical issue. You know, do I bend the rules a little bit? so that I can get more of that bottom line. And you, you say the answer is in spiritual capitalism. That's a very powerful two words, spiritual capitalism. Please tell us about that. Making a difference. Spiritualistic capitalism is finding balance. I wrote books, okay? I wrote books and when they made a movie, I said, okay, I'll make a movie. They tried to make another one, but I was tired and bored. I didn't want another one. You know, so I went to the guy who wrote the first one. I said, look, I'm tired of movie making, okay? And I'm making a bunch of TV shows, and I've been doing that because I got to move. It wasn't me in front of the camera. It was me behind the camera, okay? So I like that better, but I didn't want to make that movie. But in business, you find in a balance. A lot of people put it, the business world is tough because they think it's war, but those people have never been to war. So they have to find some way to relate to their heroes and it's tough and they have to make these decisions. So then they put it off on their family. Okay, I got to do this for my family and this is how the system works. Everybody knows when you've been too far. Everybody knows. Now, I'm never going to tell anybody not to bend. I'm not going to tell anybody what you've got to do and what you can't do. What I'm telling you is remember, you're going to have a panoramic life of you. And when you think about judging something, there is no judgment. It's a higher you looking at you. And you're seeing the difference that you make. Look what you did. Making that magazine work. Running tough business. Meeting deadlines. Printing. Selling ads. And out at 5 o'clock in the morning. And putting on speaking tours. Speakers to come in so people can fill their hearts. 
and feel of their place. And I was one of those people with the joy of it. That's spiritualistic capitalism at its best. It's how to make it economically feasible to do it. But once you're focused on achieving that goal, then the motivations that come, come from a higher insightful place because you've elevated yourself to look at what you can achieve in balance. I wrote books and built Twilight Brigade. And selling books paid for it. So, so give me a situation, give me a situation, quickly give me a situation that we would be trying to make a choice in. Give me a hard business, tough business, bending the rules situation. Let me see what it's like. Well, I think, uh, you know, it happens in sales, you know, and you kind of know that maybe this is not going to be the best way for somebody to market their business, but it's your way and it's what makes you money. But you know, there's likely something better. So you have that choice. Do you sell them or do you advise them there's something better for them? Once you sold them. And you got a quarter you, over your head, right? Wait, wait. No, you don't. Once you sold them, you got the contract signed, you got the check, then tell them. But what you would do, then tell them there's a better way. There's a better way as I look at it. I have my quote. I have to do what I do. But as I look at you as a client of mine now, as I look at you as a client of mine, let me tell you where to best put your money. That person will never forget you. That person will do that for somebody else. You made the sale. And then maybe he looking and you looking can see exactly where to place his ad in what you're doing based on him modifying his viewpoint and you thinking, so close you, sale. Yeah, you, you say that the beings of light, which I want to get more into these 13 beings of light that you encountered, I think everybody wants to learn a little bit more about that. Uh, you say they're standing by. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> you say they're standing by to uh, assist us through any challenge. You know, Lord knows, you know, we all have what seems like more than we can ever handle at times. You know, how do we know that these beings are there and how do we reach them when we need them most in our darkest hours? Well, I think the most important thing is the intention. The intention of why you need to make the connection. Watch. There are levels of consciousness that we are aware of that we don't seek to find. We don't have gratitude as a sacred, like I do every day. I do it two or three times a day. I only just stop for a couple of minutes and I just appreciate my breathing. I appreciate that I have an autotomic breathing system, that I am breathing by a system that does it for me. And the only thing I'm responsibility is to pay attention to how deep I'm breathing. Okay. That's consciousness opening up from the mental, from the physical, mental, and emotional world into the ethereal world. And I do that three times a day, okay? Those are the times when you become insightful. You don't really have to worry whether or not there is support and whether or not there are beings who call my, my books. They call us the heroes. We are the courageous, brave, willing, 
and stepped up in line to be chosen to practice being gods. We are the ones. How many of the rest of them stand around and look around and talk? Think about an angel, Eli. Everybody an angel. Angel. Messenger. From Apollo and from Mercury, from Greek and the Romans, okay? Now we got angels. Nowhere in the Bible is there anything about angels with wings. Never. Okay, so angels. How long can an angel stay here? They come tell you the... They show up and tell you everything's going to be okay. And then they disappear. And every so often from a Catholic church, we have a vision, like Fatima in Portugal. We have all that kind of stuff. We're here every day. We are the difference that the divine makes. No matter what anybody in business, and no matter what you think, this is the bottom line. This is it. How do I know? I've been dead four times. Dead, hello, I have seen what's over there. In the, gen in the Bible, in Genesis, it says there are seven heavens. I've seen four of them. So I can believe there were more. But I can tell you the first four levels of what the heavens are, I got them pretty down pat, Eli. I can look at them and see how it works. And when I told you to give me that situation, I can tell you whether it's right or wrong or how you would do it based on systems that I understand going back and forth between this world and that world and being beside thousands of people getting ready to go. So my whole point in that was this. A spiritual being can never see it as a victim. It is impossible for a divine spiritual being to be a victim. Whatever's got you thinking you're a victim is the error that's causing you to skew your direction and your purpose. So if we've been swindled, you actually, if we've been swindled, Daniel, how do we look at ourselves as not a victim? Explain that. Okay. Then it has to do with trust. It has to do with your trust or your belief in someone else's value and trust. Okay. It isn't about being swindled. I watch guys watch you and that beautiful wife of you your work endlessly to make a deadline to put the magazines in boxes so that people could pull them out make the choices about coming to the shows like anybody else in new york everybody runs a corner everybody runs a corner i don't care who you are it's a corner okay and if you're not doing business and who runs that corner i don't care and i watch people throw them away and steal them and destroy them Okay, well, here we are today, and you're in a business network. Mine is not the business of living. And sooner or later, no matter who you are, you will come my way. You will pass through my world. It's called palliative and end of life. I live there. I write books about it. I study death. I study it, and I look at it so that I can take a good look at a situation and help families make the right decisions about the right things when they're all emotional about it because they're thinking too much about it and they're mostly being selfish. And mostly about end of life is driven by selfishness, by either the person in transition or the family members who decide their worth equal to what the person who is in transition decided their worth. 34,000 hours, Eli. What well, have I not seen? Well, well I got to tell you, 
just in the couple hours that I experienced, I'm actually going to make a statement that everybody should experience this at least once. Because for me, what happened is I realized there was absolutely nothing for me to gain other, there was no agenda. There's nothing you can gain from a person who's transitioning, right? That's it. <laughs> other than, you know, than the feeling that you made a difference when you could and at the last minute and you were there helping somebody in the most challenging time of their entire no! life. It's celebration. Or, or the celebration, as you, as you uh, say. Right, we but, come to celebrate yeah. that they, the fact that a volunteer shows up, Eli, a volunteer shows up and nobody's paying them. And a volunteer yep, exactly. shows up to celebrate your life. I, you I have structured, it structured a way to interact with that person so that things structure and closure so that their life had meaning. And I mm. train people and I know how you do it because I've been every step and every stage of this situation. I've already been through it. I'm still being amazed at open heart surgery 30 years ago and open heart surgery two years ago, the advancements in medicine. But I wanna finish with this point, Eli. Here's what I think the divine, when you ask why did people would pick me? It's easy to know why they picked me. They had completely run out of messiahs. <laughs> they were scraping the absolute <laughs> bottom of the barrel. And now all those angels were down at the cloud bar doing angel shots. And they said, I got it. Let's go find a jackass <laughs> and let's put all this messiahship on him and let's see how he handles it. Ta-da, that's how I got here. Number two, I think that Divine was looking and saw that too many people got to dependent on insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, and doctors. And they were losing the sacredness of birth and transition. Baby comes in, you wear diapers twice in your life when you come and when you go. Okay, but that's hospice talk. But you have two places of sacredness coming and leaving. The system has so structured and blind you that you don't have closure. You don't have a way and you're lost in the realms of palliative and transition and they put them in homes. So she said, I know what I'll do. The only difference between God and a doctor is God never thinks she's a doctor. <laughs> so she sends us back. If you believe in modern medicine, that means you believe in one of two ways, a living universe or a dead universe. If you take pills and you don't read those pills and you put them in your body and you keep doing the same crap that you've been doing and you found a way to get around it or to put on longer, to live longer, okay? That means you believe in a dead universe. That means there's no spiritual world. There's nothing after this. You're in a, just a bunch of chemicals, just like they say, you're just a bunch of chemicals. Okay. Wow. Are, are, wow. Are you live in a living universe? Yep. Okay. Well, we, because of cardiopulmonary resuscitation, we who have come back, we came back through their system, through the dead universe system. It's, it's allopathic medicine that saved my life. It's integrative therapies that keep me alive. So guess what? All of us who come back, we talking about what's over there. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so that's her sense of humor. That's my relationship to God's sense of humor. You know, you remember this one. If it ain't funny, it ain't spiritual. There you if go. If you want to tell me something that's spiritual, it better make me laugh. I don't want to hear it. So, Daniel, what is a – we all have 24 hours in a day. What is – a perfect 24-hour day. You have eight hours to sleep, let's say. You got 16 hours. Most of us have more than we can handle. Most of us have things that get left undone. Uh, yet, there are certain things within those 16 hours that are essential to fit in. You talk about taking a pause three times a day and, and looking at your gratitude. breath. Yeah, gratitude. gratitude. Okay. What are you thankful for? Mm, every okay. single day, right? Well, I would. So what I would do, I would take my trace minerals every single morning and I would get nanoparticulated trace minerals and I would, don't like to use a brand, but trace mineral research is the best product. It's the cheapest price is 66 base trace minerals. You take it in the morning. Why? Because Linus Paulding, two-time Nobel Prize winner, said every illness and disease can be reduced down to a trace mineral. So if you have a compound enzyme or solution reaction in your body, it is triggered by a trace mineral. So example, if 25 years ago, you went to a tree, you took a Granny, Granny Smith apple, green apple off that tree, and you ate it. If you went to the same tree today and you pulled an apple off, you'd have to eat 24 of them to get the same amount of nutrition that you got 25 years ago because we are killing the planet. We are fertilizing yeah. and we're killing the planet. So first you pay attention to your breathing yep. and you pay attention to how breathe you breathe, how deep you breathe in. And then when you think to breathe out, what is the greatest purpose for that breath to breathe out? To create change, to empower people. No matter what, let that be the intention. Because there is a level of consciousness, Eli, where intention becomes motive. Okay? And it's so fine in its frequencies that people can use it to rationalize psychological and sociological dispositions. Well, that's all crap. The divine doesn't play that crap. <laughs> she made up the rules. <laughs> okay? So... When you go from intention to motive, it's okay. As long as intention was the driver. Do we take ourselves too seriously? How much time should we be spending focusing on ourselves versus serving other people? You should be focusing on yourself every single minute. Because if you're going to be everybody that you ever encounter, and you can feel the direct results of your interaction between you and that person, what in the world do you want to feel? You know me, I hug everybody. Oh, I'm yeah. worse than Joe Biden. I don't smell <laughs> people's hair, but I hug everybody. I don't care. I want to feel that energy and I want to feel that energy that moves between people. I want to hold them. I mean, you know, I, I know it's got to be more proper now than ever, but I don't still, I want to interact with people because the key, Eli, in hospice and knowing that I've had more panoramic life reviews. The worst thing about the panoramic life review is it doesn't pick, off, pick up where the last one left off. It starts over. You're going to have to say, I've had it four times. You know, it gets, I, like I always say, like, I've been dead so many times, it's like a joke. 
you know, it's like a comedy <laughs> skit. Okay. So, but when you, when you look at the fact that I'm going to be that person that I know how to find closure, I can walk up on that situation and I'm the best there is. When it comes down to transition, I can size it up so fast and I can set up a structure and a model so that that person finds value in their life and how you celebrate it and how that they celebrate closure and how you bring them to talk about it, whether they want to or not, and see the kind of place that they have as they are taking those last breaths. And I'm going to get to feel what I gave them. That's why I come back. Love it. That's why I come back. Yeah, you have, have a mission. Well, I'm practicing being a God. And then there's a second one. Wherever two or more gather in my name, so shall I be among you. Okay. Well, in 2011, people, I would say that 18 times I have seen on this side of the veil, I have seen a room filled with light. I've seen people come get people. See that soul wake up and lift up out of that body and people come to get them. And then I've seen host of beings come to get a person. This was a, this guy was probably 93 years old. Okay. World War went when he was a little older, made it back. I've seen a host come to get him. And of those 18 times, knowing how I am, you know, I, I would say that three of those I would put into question because it's four o'clock in the morning. I've done a whole day. I'm on a vigil, you know, I'm there on my, pulling my two hours or my three hours. And I, I made a mistake. But on the other 15, you forget about it. So healthcare is where the battle for the souls of humankind is. And if you don't think that's true, just look at what I've been saying for 45 years and look what I wrote about 25 years ago and see if I didn't know exactly where we would be and exactly what would happen and exactly how they would trigger this virus and exactly how they would depopulate and the exact way they would do it. And see if I haven't been saying this for 45 years, then you got a conversation. Okay. The, the word virus is in your book. I can vouch for that. You know, I, I, I reread it today. <laughs> and, and when I read that word, I'm like, hmm, somebody knew something. For sure. Yeah, well, what it was, was if you're going to position a system, you know, remember, the last thing it says is the center. Okay. Where a person can go and deal with the in-between levels of consciousness. I've done this for years and years and years, Eli. I built whole systems and I've watched them evolve, how you build them and how you structure where if a person is so terrified, then there's a way that they can get a moment. There's a way they can get a moment out of this level and they call it out of body experiences or astral travel, all that, but so if there's a way that that can happen quietly and it gives them that moment where they celebrate the life with their family instead of all that crap that goes on. Or if a person is so lost in the, in the grief, you know, I believe in, in, in loss. Okay. And I believe I can't deal with grief. Grief is a structure that you hold on to something that's a natural part of life. 
and you normally hold on to it because you were abandoned as opposed to they were better off going home. When that comes into play as a grief, there has to be a mechanism that's not a drug or a therapist. There has to be an internal structured reaction that happens only to them. And let me tell you something funny. I did a show in the 90s, and who was that lady that had a talk show that was, uh, she had her face lifted, and she was, uh, what was her name? She was a comedian. Joan Rivers? Uh, Joan Rivers. So I did a show with Joan Rivers. And you can go on YouTube, everybody, and you can find this. I did a show with Joan Rivers, right? And I was there with Raymond and George Ritchie and a couple of more debtors, you know, and she was just being nice. Whoever booked the show or produced the show, she was just being nice. And so Raymond and I had created a system, the early days of the center. This is like 91. Raymond you know, Moody, Life After Life. We should get some perspective, right? People don't necessarily yeah. know, right? He wrote who invented the term? Who invented the term near-death experience? Yes. Okay, so when we got finished with the show, I told Joan Rivers she needed to come down. You know, you talk that much crap to me. Yeah, I think you funny. So Joan Rivers came. We put her through the program. She thought she wanted to see Edgar. And when she saw him, she said she really didn't want to see him. I didn't know that he had lost a fortune. I didn't know any of that stuff. But what she said was, when she was in the clinic, she said she went to California to Melissa's house. And Melissa was taking a shower. And she described all the things that Melissa had laid out on the bed, even a belt that she had bought her, laid out on the bed that she was going to put on. And Joan was telling Raymond and I this like 500 miles an hour, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, let's call her. So Joan calls Melissa, and we're all on the phone. <clears throat> she said, Melissa, what were you doing 20 minutes ago? Oh, I was taking a shower. But what are you going to wear? Melissa described everything that Joan said was on that bed, just where it was. And then she said, and mom, I'm going to wear that belt you bought me. Wow. And Joan's excited about the belt because her daughter had picked out an outfit that they, you know, a bunch of clothes girls, you know, I, I don't, you know, but that belt that she was going to wear was that moment. So here's Joan. Here's Joan going to California from Alabama and living in real time in a place where she was loved and where she was celebrated. And it was just a belt buckle. Okay. Well, I've seen that happen more than a hundred times. So when it was time to implement final system, which is now, I'm doing it. I call it If You Love Them. I positioned a program in the Veterans Administration called If You Love Them, Keep Them Home As Long As You Can. And I wanted to create a structured program because if I can keep them home and I can get the government's veterans, because they're, it's horrible what I see happening. If I can keep them home and I can bring a system within that home structure that allows this thing to happen, that that life can be celebrated where everybody wants to be home and have a system of support that comes 
the greatest, the, the, a nation's greatness determines how it takes care of its helpless and how it takes care of its veterans. Amen. Well, I, I do everything for the helpless that I can within reason, but the veterans, them is my boys. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to create this program that you can, in the early stages of transition, you can get a chance to see what it's like without the body. Okay. Once you realize that this body is not you, this body is something that you look in the mirror that you hope looks exactly the way other people are going to see you and like you. <laughs> it's not you. So, Dan, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I've talked and babbled on. Well, your, your, your passion obviously is, is evident. There's no de denying that. <laughs> Let's end the program by letting the people listen, know how they can support some of the things that you're doing and will be doing in the future. Well, you can go to the Twilight Brigade, which will become the Transition Brigade because I'm changing and revamping, but the website's there. I'm building another website and it's about the 10 things to know. If you want to know what's happening today and who you are, go by Saved by the Light, okay? And turn to chapter five and, and turn to chapter five, read box 12 and you will be home. You'll see that the fight's on. You'll see that you chose to be here and you were chosen to be here and it's up to you. You either will go and become into the system or you won't, but it's about your health care, how you take care of yourself. The only thing that you truly can control that you can negotiate with the system. Okay. And the other thing is this, believe about 20% of everything that you hear that is said to, that frightens you. Believe about 20% of everything that you hear that, is, that you believe is to frighten you because it's a presidential election. Nothing is real. Mm, powerful, nothing is real. Nothing. Well, our guest It's today, all created. It's all created. It's all created. Yep. Well, you manufacture a you manufacture a storyline and you implement it. Every Southern boy knows about politics, Eli. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me on my show. I'm sorry that I wasted all these business people's times, but are you kidding sooner me? Sooner or later they'll be in the sooner or later they'll be in the same business as me, palliative and end of life care. Well, Daniel. I'll tell you one thing, you're a one of a kind. You were 23 years ago when I first met you. You are today. Um, what you do uh, is uh, something uh, you do out of passion. It comes through. Uh, and the idea that you are helping veterans and people at uh, transitioning and celebrating them is, is incredible. And if we all thought more like that, not just thought of ourselves, thought how we can uplift other people, my, what a world, better world this place would be, as uh, Louis Armstrong uh, sung, right? <laughs> oh, Absolutely. What a, what, what a wonderful world. So thank you so much, Daniel. Peace, light, hey, and love to you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for having me. And if I can ever be of service or help to you and that magnificent wife of yours, please do not hesitate to call on me. Thank you. And let me tell anybody listening today, if you have not read Saved by the Light, it is a must read. God bless all. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love our listeners, and we believe you have greatness within you. 
If you like The Motivation Show, we appreciate you subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Check out EliMarcusSuccess.com to hear more inspiring shows and to read our motivational blog. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.